All right, what's going on, guys? How's everybody doing? It is Friday, February 18th. OPEX, third Friday of every month, unless it's a uh, holiday. So I think uh, April's, I think April's the Thursday, the third Thursday, or the second Thursday of April's um, <clears throat> that uh, options expiry. Anyway. It's been a week. Haven't done a uh, call-in, I think, since the beginning of, honestly, the beginning of the month. So we're late in this week, and we didn't do last week. And I think the last call-in I did was the beginning of February. So it's been some time. I apologize about that. Um, I've had contractors in my house for the last two weeks now just completely displacing me. Not completely displacing me, but... Everywhere I could be besides my bedroom or my office uh, is occupied. Um, occupied and being completely renovated uh, and rebuilt. So we bought a new house in July or August. I think it's August. Um, and we decided to give it uh, basically a complete facelift. It was a relatively new house, but my wife had grand plans and... I'm just the guy who signs the check. So you know how it is if you're married, you're better off just being a yes man. Um, so we've had contractors in for the last two weeks. And uh, yeah, I've been basically stuck in my office. Um, I go outside to play fetch with the dog, but <clears throat> it's it's really messed with my schedule. Uh, all day, basically, you know, the uh, dull thud of a, of a nail gun or um, some, uh, honestly, some Ukrainian rap music, which is very interesting. A mix of Ukrainian rap music and, um, pop music, <laughs> English pop music. So anyway, um, it's been some time. I'm happy to be back. Thank you guys for, uh, joining in on the Cantering Clark Trading Lounge. Um, now I'm pretty sure that you're all aware that if you have, uh, an Android device, you can tune in as well. So, I've been partners with Colin now for for going on two months, and initially it was just available to iPhone users, and now it's available to Android users, and that only makes sense. I mean, you have to be available to um, to both product groups, right? I mean, I'm a diehard Apple guy, um, <clears throat> and you know how it is. It's it's a trap. I mean, I swear, nothing really changes that. I need for an iPhone, but every time the new iPhone comes out, like I just, I get sucked into the store and I buy one and I know it's not even necessary, but you know, it's like the, the five seconds of using it for the first time, you're like, Ooh, I noticed a difference. Like I could swipe through pages a little bit faster as if that's necessary. Right. And then I'm sure that they, they program some kind of like planned obsolescency into it because it's that definitely something we could all, I think, notice in terms of how it suddenly starts to lag over time. Right. But um, so I've been an iPhone user forever and Colin was only available to iPhone users. And actually, just a month ago, um, I got my first uh, Android device as well. So don't ask me why I have two phones. But I mean, there's some people that have two phones, but they have like a business line. But <clears throat> I wanted an Android. So I said, the hell with it. I'll have a uh, I'll have like the bat line. And it's only given to people in the event of an emergency uh, to call me on it. Um, so completely unnecessary purchase, honestly. But anyway, thanks for tuning in, guys. Um, that's it. Thanks for tuning in. See you later. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, this is labeled, uh, why is it labeled markets in May? 
Should be labeled markets in mayhem. In a state of mayhem. Okay, that's a mistake. So <laughs> this is not markets in May. Although, if you think about it, um, actually these conditions are honestly a little bit worse than May, in my opinion. Um, in May, it was just like one long period of just consistent selling, just, you know, take the dog down, you know, take the dog out back, put it down, just horrible, right? Just one way though, okay? Just got the job done, ran over longs, squeezed a ton of participants out of the market, and that was it, right? Um, a swift ex execution, although it, it obviously took place over a series of weeks, uh, but the crash was relatively swift. This is like a period of just complete uncertainty, right? This is a very new, slow-driven environment. Um, it's not a technical environment, so it's not friendly to traders that have any kind of preference, any kind of trading approach that is outside of having a high time preference. So like a low time preference is like your swing traders, your position traders. This really is favoring those who are nimble, right? Um, so it's, it hasn't been that fun. Okay, so the markets in May kind of works because the last time that things were shitty was May, right? But this again, I think this is a little bit, in my opinion, this is, it's just becoming tiresome, right? Um, so like all of the other call-ins, this will be reported. So for those of you that are tuning in late, uh, you'll be able to listen to this afterward. Um, and yeah, I'm getting back into the schedule. So I'll have a, I'll do another one next week. I wanted to do more than one a week, but I think I'm just going to keep it on as one a week. So whenever I do share these, be sure to step in because this is your time to, to you know, shoot the shit with me, um, ask questions, whatever you want to talk about. Listen, before we get into it. Aside from like politics and religion, we'll talk about anything. You want to talk about the best slice of pizza in New York. You want to talk about your favorite uh, street meat. You want to talk about, you know, um, sports. It doesn't matter, right? There's a lot of things outside of markets. And I think, I think this is a good segue um, to honestly what I think for most people right now, which is this is probably a time when you should take time off, okay? Um, if you're just getting involved in trading, yeah, you know, this is a, you know, any, anything is good experience, but don't make the mistake of trying to play the pro event right now. Uh, if anything, this is really a time that you should, and, and listen, uh, myself, traders that I know that are phenomenal traders, everyone's having a, it's not a very smooth time, right? I mean, I had a killer week and then, uh, you know, I had like three or four days of just couldn't hit them straight. Um, you know, not getting uh, my ass kicked, but it's, it hasn't been fun. And I, everyone I know is is sizing down and is taking a more uh, conservative approach because conditions are just warranting it, right? And I think that that's ultimately what you learn as you gain experience is that, you know, you don't just get to approach the market how you want. You have to, you know, dance according to the market's tempo and what the market is dictating. And that should influence your positioning, um, you know, how much risk you're looking to take. And also, obviously, your expectancy, right? Or rather what you expect from the market. Um, so it's good experience. You know, I have only, I can only say that there are a handful of times that uh, that I've traded that are similar to this. Uh, and it's because, you know, we were, we've had an unprecedented two decades basically, right? Um, or just under two decades. And this is the first time where, you know, don't fade the Fed is in the opposite direction. Okay, so we're going to talk about a bunch of different things. Um, 
First things first, like I said earlier, today's OPEX, right? So this is just options expiry. And today you had $2.2 trillion in contracts, uh, $2.2 trillion uh, in open interest, all right? Uh, tomorrow is technically the expiration, but today's the last trading day. And, you know, there's things like this are, they're shared with like a little bit of opium attached to it. You know, oh, market's been moving down for some time. You know, we've never had this much put activity, yada, 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 positioning in options. Um, being reflective of, you know, downside protection being bought, anticipation of further downside. So market makers to hedge that, you know, they have to sell futures, um, you know, the same way that a uh, options market maker or options writer who's selling calls is is buying. Um, you know, eventually that there's a case to be made, obviously, for, you know, that uh, call seller to have inventory left to unwind and there to be some headwinds. Uh, in that situation, but in the situation where, you know, let's say the narrative is that there's a ton of puts that are being sold, options market makers, options writers are, you know, <clears throat> selling uh, to hedge this, uh, that the unwinding of that positioning, uh, if it was interpreted very basically, would lead to um, some type of cushioning or some type of floor to be put in. Mm. Bear with me, I'm drinking this uh, liquid death sparkling water from the Alps. It just tastes like basic sparkling water. They put a lot of money into marketing clearly, but it tastes like tap water. Um, so, you know, the idea would be that the unwind or after this expiration uh, of those hedges would lead to some upward mobility. Now, the thing is, you know, the last uh, OPEX was January 21st. Um, and I think it was relatively the same amount of open interest and, you know, context slightly different, but the S&P didn't have any kind of footing after the unwind of that positioning, uh, the S&P actually dropped 6% over the course of three days and Bitcoin dropped 16%. So there's your, you know, 3X S&P ETF BTC, right? Uh, so right now the market is, um, <clears throat> it's new slow driven, right? So it's not technically driven. So it's a pain in the ass. It's just, that's just a euphemism for pain in the ass. All right. So new slow driven, you know, it's conflicting headlines, um, on Russia and Ukraine, it's conflicting headlines on the Fed. You know, today you had William speaking. Um, it, it's every single day, it's something different, right? And, you know, this is showing up in price action uh, almost instantaneously now with BTC. So BTC, there's very little latency between uh, how BTC trades um, and how the S&P trades, right? Because they are highly correlated right now. Um, you know, when the S&P is experiencing trouble, BTC is going to be experiencing trouble in this type of environment. Like you're not, you shouldn't be looking for signs of strength of BTC versus the S&P. Like it's just not, it's not happening right now. Um, I don't want to say it can happen, but it, I just wouldn't like go out into the market uh, every morning with the expectation that you're going to see like the sign of strength showing up and you're going to be earliest uh, to that trend. So I think it's, it's a really important to have high standards for price right now. And like I I hung out, I hung on 43. And 43 was technically, it would be like the shallowest pullback for price to hold, but I just wanted to have really high standards. So 43 was a prior weekly level, it was a value area high of a prior structure. Um, and, you know, that would have been the most shallow pullback after this move off of the lows. And the move off the lows are great. Like, you know, when things change, things change. Um, but you don't want to be the, the person who's like still sitting around like, well, maybe they didn't change. Maybe it's only change, like equivocating. No, when things change, things change. And you can see the environment we're in right now. And I, I shared a post that I said back in December, like things are clearly changing with the index in terms of liquidity. 
it's dictating the flow of all markets right now. Um, so don't like try to piss against the wind or swim upstream at this point. Like when you see that equities are having trouble, just assume that BTC is going to have trouble as well. Right? If equities are stable and you see that Bitcoin's showing sign strength, great. But it just it doesn't look like we're uh, in that environment right now. So very news flow driven, very sensitive. Almost all my positioning post the uh, exit at 43 loss is just right back to short term positioning. Right. Very quick, nimble. You know, the thing about being nimble um, is you're ideally you are mitigating for um, any kind of exposure to tail risk. Right. Um, so during periods where liquidity is drying up, when you're in a new slow driven environment, there's a lot of headline risk. And and, you know, being more short term oriented helps to sort of avoid any kind of exposure to tail risk rather. Right. So. We are, you know, there's a bunch of talk about, obviously, uh, the amount of hikes this year and, you know, whether they're priced in. Well, to a degree, yeah, the Fed has jawboned. You know, if you look at the two-year, what it did to the two-year, it has jawboned to a certain degree. Um, the effect that those hikes would have been, um, uh, you know, the effect that those hikes were looking to have. But that's just for interest rates, right? That has no bearing necessarily on quantitative tightening outside of that through the unwinding of the balance sheet. Um, so it's it's a little bit, I guess, silly to say like, oh, it's all priced. Clearly it's not all priced in, right? Because the market, you know, we could see by looking at yields to a certain degree, we could see by looking at Fed fund futures that yeah, the market is reflecting um, any kind of any kind of language, right? Uh, about what they're gonna be doing in the future, but still the market is moving, you know, immediately. Right. At any kind of change in tone or, uh, you know, whether we're listening to one speaker over the other, um, Kashkari or Trashkari, uh, even though Kashkari is more dovish, um, you know, Brainerd, it, it's it, the market is very sensitive. So I just would go with the, you know, over the so here, I guess here's the best way to put it uh, in the long run. Markets are really efficient in the short run. They're not. So in the long run, yeah, markets are very efficient. Uh, but. Most of the people that I interact with myself, uh, I'm a trader because in the short run, they're inefficient. OK, so new slow driven environment. You know, I don't have to sort of beat that at this point, uh, beat that in you guys. You guys know what what is taking place and what is swinging price. So sizing down, right, having a more uh, conservative approach, uh, stepping away. Honestly, you know, I want to say, like, after the March meeting, I think there'll be a lot more certainty. And, you know, who knows, what do we get fit? I mean, at this point, I don't, there's a consensus that the market doesn't necessarily think that we're going to get a 50, 50 basis point um, hike. I think after William spoke today, it was more along the lines of having a smooth transition, right? I don't know why I just said smooth, but uh, we try to keep these uh, sound like feed me see more. What's that from? Little shop hours. Um, so, all right. Liquidity, liquidity, liquidity. So what is liquidity? Just very basic. It's the availability of counterparties. And right now, there basically are none. <laughs> That's the best way I can put it, right? Do you have someone to transact with? No, the market is empty, right? So price is trading very formulaically. And, and by that, I mean, it's very, and this is going to sound kind of silly because it's, it's kind of a meme at this point, but if we lose this level, it's lights out. It's lights out. So what I've noticed um, is that when we are in these sort of very sensitive new soldier environments, when liquidity dries up, it doesn't make sense to like think about all your little micro nuance levels, right? So for me, 
that might be, you know, a small pocket where we see a significant increase in participation or, you know, a value area high or whether it's like a one day composite, two day composite or a three day composite. Obviously, the, lo the longer the time frame, the more weight it carries. But honestly, like these levels have not been as respected in this environment. Okay, so normally you would say that Bitcoin has like, and I've said this before, I don't remember where I heard this, but it doesn't have laser-like levels. It's not like uh, the line in the sand that you see drawn in treasuries. And honestly, this is not a, as of the last you know year and a half, but uh, in the past, right, treasuries trading much differently, much thicker than something like, let's say, the S&P, the Russell, the, the NASDAQ, and obviously, you know, then you have like crude oil and Bitcoin with like similar liquidity profiles. Now everything's basically shit liquidity, but, um, you know, Bitcoin has tended to have a uh, like a looser shoreline, right? So it's it's an area. Um, but what I've seen is that when with like daily levels, weekly levels, it might not be the first five minutes, it might not be the first five hours, but when you lose a daily level, when you gain a daily level, you know, we're talking about daily pivots, right? See significant reference points that, you know, very, very quickly draw the eye. Right. So daily support, weekly support, these levels, honestly, like they're when they're either lost or gained, like it just has been a matter of time for the price to gravitate from one level to the next. And it doesn't really make sense to step in in the gap, like playing hero in this environment. Like I'm, I'm telling you, yeah, at some point like that works. Right. Like, but, you know, I bought it before it got the support. It was front ran like I had to say, you know, whatever. Maybe that works at some point, but it doesn't pay to go out into the market every day, assuming that you're going to be the one to you know, to, to pick up that trade, right? Just, we're in a gap right now, for example, you know, going down to like 38-ish. Um, we got some single prints from 39 to 38 from a move that took us up to where we were. And I honestly would just expect that over time, we're probably going to fill it out. So today I said, hey, you know, maybe we're going to form the next composite or, you know, two to three day range between 41 and 39. You know, if we begin to drift lower before, you know, under 40 and we're favoring where we have rejected off of, you know, 39, I forgot what exactly what it was, like 39.5, um, then the market's going to fill out that void, right? And I'm not trying to, like, step in before then. Like, I'm trying to identify an area where I think the market is going to carve out, right? And this looks like we're kind of in this bucket right now where we're going to fill it out. Uh, and that's really just to hopefully begin, begin to identify some extremes where we could look for you know, trap traders, offside positioning um, for, you know, more rotational mean reversion type trading. Uh, and I want, like, I don't try to predict that though. I'm trying to, I mean, I say things in advance because that's human nature, right? You know, it's like a very human part of being on Twitter. It's, you want to say something and you want to be right. But the God's honest truth, the market's dictating that for me. Like if it's not here and it's somewhere else, I'm not going to be here stuff, you know, trying to make it happen. I'm trying to find out where the market is going to settle into so I can identify hopefully extremes, right? And, you know, there's plenty of signs you would look for. Some type of snapback is, a, is the most obvious one, um, but we, we don't have anything major yet. So liquidity is an issue right now, and that's honestly why I think things are trading more formulaically between levels, because, like, who's stepping in the way before we get there, right? So it's very, and honestly, it's like, this kind of would go to saying, hey, it's a technically driven market, but this is just sort of one aspect of a technically driven market that the market's respecting right now. But make no mistake, it's very news driven. All right. So it's very formulaic in the sense that high time frame levels being lost or gained. Yeah, they've, they've led to follow through to the next level. All the in between, though, is just being tossed around based on the Twitter feed, honestly, right? Based on Reuters, Bloomberg, or whoever's pumping your news out fastest from 
um, you know, Ukraine, Russia, or whatever, you know, uh, whatever Fed member has something to say about uh, whether they need to slow down or speed up. Um, so right now, I am obviously, like I said, super high time preference. I'm really just like I said, I'm looking for price to carve out a region so I can identify where people are making mistakes in, in the derivatives market because I, that is doing all the wagging at this point. Spot market, the spot market, you know, Light put up a great post um, either yesterday or today. I, I shared it. Um, the spot market liquidity has really dried up. Right? If you look at the spot market, I think it would take us like two, three hundred million to take us down to thirty. And you might think like that's a ton of money, but honestly, that could step out of the way real fast. The that is from looking at the book statically, right? So if you look at the book statically, if you look at like derivatives, it's obviously in the billions. If you look at the spot book, it's either between, I don't want to say three to 400 million um, bids available between here and I think like 29 or 30K. And the point is like, they, they will peace out at the first sign of pain, right? So that, that 300 million to eat through will turn to, you know, just it, 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 it'll pale in comparison. Right? We, you know how the limit order book is. It's an advertisement. Um, so and you're not seeing any kind of consistent level of demand. So it's not like you have value buyers that are like stepping in the way right here. Um, when you're in these conditions, it's like no one wants to be the first. Right. No one wants to be the last, but no one wants to be the first. Uh, and you don't have any kind of major signs right now. I know Sue said, you know, something about 90 percent of his uh, criteria is satisfied for a bottom. That's great. But another 10 percent. Could be, you know, hey, what happens if that other 10% is like the Pareto, right? But even, but even, uh, you know, uh, more widely distributed or more oddly distributed. Um, so I, I don't know what goes on in that 10%, but I'm not going to be jumping right now, now that we've lost levels again and we potentially have a lower high. And again, it's not like we're saying this and, that, and we have a really strong legacy market right now um, to sort of lean on. We don't have that at all, right? So, um, Super high time frame preference trading. That means just very low time frame. Looking for offside positioning in the derivatives market, looking for imbalances. We had a very significant one this morning. Um, this was very obvious on Binance and BitMEX. Uh, there was a like a, someone just hammering short under 39, um, like 25 million contracts opened up below that. And it was like a swing low that was taken out and like almost like someone panicked and, and hit the sell button, right? So, you know, once that, uh, once that stopped moving, it was very clear, like, all right, I mean, you have to think, like, how would you feel if you're in that position? You slam, you know, 20, 25 million contracts short and price is like still chilling at that level. It's like hitting someone in the face in a boxing match and them not wincing at all uh, and just eating it instead. So that was a really good opportunity. Uh, I ended up getting long on that. And honestly, most of the trading right now is a matter of being in the right spot at the right time. That means, you know, ass in the seat, eyes on the screen um, and seeing these you know, cases where on the derivatives market, you have someone that's just clearly on the wrong side of the ball. Um, so I don't want to like look for the smaller ones that I think I would look for in a more, in a stronger market, right? Where you have like slight divergences, but you know, you have, you know, in the case of, let's say you have a Delta divergence at, you know, to the downside and you know that the bulls have had steam and you might take a setup that is not like an A plus setup. I'm only looking for A plus setups right now. Like you decide when you click, so have really high standards. Uh, and honestly, in general, this market, if you just focused on, let's say, and this is not what I, you know, my piece of advice to most people is like, become really familiar with the market, how it trades, everything about microstructure, you know, how the market responds certain days of the week, how it responds to certain events, right? Knowing an asset sort of in and out, 
versus knowing a strategy in and out. But honestly, this market is very rewarding if you do focus on like individual strategies um, when it comes to mechanical stuff, right? Where the if you just took, you know, these two trades that you focused on 90% of the time, you could do really well. The problem is like, how do you make sure you sit on your hands all those other times where you think like, hmm, this kind of looks good. Like, why don't I just swing at this? That's like, ah, price is in the middle of fucking nowhere. Like, what are you doing? Why don't you just wait for price to satisfy, you know, the, again, the criteria that you set. So I, I would say have really high standards. I'm only looking for A plus setups. And it's not like, you know, this is, uh, listen, like again, A plus setups, but still trading less than I'm trading, right? Trading, excuse me, less size than I'm trading, which sucks because, you know, your A plus setups are where you want to really take a swing at it. Um, you know, loosen the grip, use the hips, you know, get that torque going and really try to rip it. Uh, you know, for the most part, like, so like, it's obviously, it's pretty, it's a common misconception that, you know, you should take the same amount of risk per trade. It's like, no, if you have a, if you have data, right. And you've built um, a journal and you know, like, what you could expect from your normal trading, right? Certain setups, whether mechanical setups or more discretionary nuance setups. Um, you should know that there are setups where, like like I said, your A plus setups where they have a higher probability of recurring favorably. Why wouldn't you size more into them? Well, this is a case where like the, the A plus setups are the only setups I'm taking. And they're, you know, they're they're like the smaller setups that I would normally take uh, throughout the day to day that maybe are not as attractive. So they're not sized to hit home runs. And honestly, even myself included, like I'm not spending a ton of time in front of the screens. Like I think I've spent more time, honestly, going outside, playing fetch with my dog, like just trying to let the market sort itself out. I think it's honestly the best thing for most people. Uh, so, you know, my high time frame level, high time frame level was 43k, right? That had the hold. That was the shallowest pullback. You know, range retest on the top side. You know, price came off of the lows looking great. You know, you had a sort of breakaway gap to the upside. Uh, strong move by buyer, short covering. Uh, one of the best signs was really negative news resulting in a really positive response. So it just should, it should, and that's different now, right? Like you can't still hang on that old piece of data. Uh, the market has cheated on us at this point. We're not gonna like hang on the good times. Like the market has done something to fuck us over. We're not gonna hang on the move from, you know, the third and fourth and say, well, it's strong because of this. It's like, we're all the way back there right now, but strong move off of the lows, right? You had non-farm payroll came through and basically should have given the Fed all the runway it needed to tighten as much as possible, right? And the market ripped up, it should have dumped in the face of that um, sort of Fed having carte blanche to, to fuck risk assets. But market moved up, positioning was negative at that point, strong move off the lows, we're above the 20 period moving average. You know, I had said at that point, if we're above the 20 period, I'm just getting as long as possible because, you know, this is a, a pretty good indication that there is a shift, at least in the short-term trend. Um, I'm not waiting, you know, I didn't wait to lose that again to get out of position. That was just one piece of evidence that, again, lined up uh, as confluence on the long side of things. But I'd said in the beginning, you know, 43K goes, like I'm just getting out because I know this market is bound to move from 43K to 41.5. Sure enough, it did. Uh, and then when we reclaimed 43K, I wanted to, you know, continue to sort of have that hope, but it just price wasn't there, right? It, there was no strength, really, no follow through. Um, so I ended up getting long, short a couple times in the low timeframes, uh, but there was no real reason to get back in the market full steam. You had a pretty significant increase in open interest on that go around and price hadn't even got back up to the high. So that's like one of the most important things, I think, with the higher time frame 
uh, is when you have really big disparities between open interest. Um, so changes in open interest relative to changes in price. So, you know, if you have in the case of, you know, price making a sort of rounded lower high at a prior daily weekly level, rounding off of that swing high that we put in around, I think it was like 45, 46. Um, so rounding out, rejecting from there, but meanwhile, open interest has continued to go up. Like stablecoin margin contracts went up like a billion, right? Um, so it was like a billion contracts that um, uh, that aggregated open interest. Stablecoin margin contracts went up from like six billion to seven billion, something around there, right? So meanwhile, price didn't break the high. So it was like a lot of activity into that level, but that work was for nothing because we didn't, you know, price didn't trade any higher. Um, so really strict criteria, guys. I think you kind of get the point. I'm going to open this up. Um, like I, you know, like I said earlier, like when you're in a gap, just it just this kind of environment. There's there's not a lot of people stepping in the way. I'm either going to be buying higher, and and this is you know I'm most of the time when I'm talking on Twitter, and I think a lot of people get this now, but still people that are like, dude, you were long yesterday, and I'm like, I mean. I think if you're looking at Twitter and you're you don't have it so it's latest tweets and you have it so it's like tweets that are geared to you or favored towards you, you won't see like someone's entire feed. So you might see like one of their posts and not the other posts, right? Um, so I'll get someone like talking about a long I took the you know a morning ago, two mornings ago, and I'm like, dude, I posted like a short between them. Like stay on the ball, man. Like I'm trading in and out of position. High time frame wise, if I'm looking for swings, I am only looking lower, right? If we cover this gap, we're honestly higher. So cost of doing business, cost of certainty, buying higher, right? Um, not looking to knife catch. Only look to knife catch on the low timeframes. If a setup, you know, if we get some type of liquidation cascade, open interest gets wiped, spreads blow out, sure, I'll get long. But I'm as honest as possible, guys, I say this all the time. I paper hand the shit out of those positions, right? The thing about paper handing those is if you catch a liquidation cascade right after it's done, you get a move for like a thousand points in a matter of sec, you know, seconds, right? So it's a big move, but I just end up, I end up getting out of it because, I mean, I don't want to be stuck holding the bag, right? Um, so for me, I need to see development lower after taking out this gap. Um, so again, this gap extends down to like 38-ish, uh, and there's no reason why we can't do it in this region, right? Fill out this gap, you know, price sort of establishing value, clearing up inefficiencies. In a strong trending environment, you don't see that though, right? So when you have a breakaway gap, you don't wanna see that it's revisiting it. It's just showing you that price is still carving out levels and it's not ready to, to get away. And, and anyone who's thinking price is like gonna leave right now is not paying attention to the big picture, right? And, and like, I still hear people like talking on streams about how there's like, oh, the correlation's not that important. It only should only shows up once in a while and then they they're coming up with these really convoluted narratives about why they're getting long I'm like you're painting a fucking picture that doesn't exist man like you're seeing you're seeing So, I mean, do you think that you're going to be the first person that's on the train when it stops? It's just it pays to continue to bet it's going to persist. It's like, you know, the trend is your friend. Well, the trend doesn't necessarily just mean when price goes up and when price goes down. It's the trend of activity. What's the pattern of activity right now? The trend right now is correlation. So fucking ride the trend, right? 
Um, all right, so I think that's good enough. I'm going to open it up. Uh, Mateo, let me uh, unmute you. Make next call. Here we go. Hey, uh, so I'm not actively playing with money now, which is good, because if I was, I'd be holding UNG, uh, which is a really dumb thing to hold on for the most part. And I'd be really frustrated I wasn't getting any upside out of the geopolitical tension uh, today. I noticed yeah. that uh, Moscow stocks are trading down almost 4%, which is ironic. Obviously, capital wants to uh, you know, get the fuck out of Moscow in terms of risk, in terms of the absolute obvious. But... Those are all like uh, Gazprom and like industrial stocks. So like why, uh, you know, it's kind of double punishing for things that should be conservative and should be rewarded uh, are instead kind of punished. If you're holding UNG, you're a dummy like I was when I held it 12 years ago. You're stuck in like the 14s and 15s and not really seeing any action. What do you see as the best smart way to respond to like geopolitical stuff, specifically with like energy or commodity plays in like a high stress environment where Putin goes nuts personally? What What do you suggest? For I mean, honestly, dude, just just to be as clear as possible, like my circle of confidence is primarily crypto at this point. Uh, and it, it seems like what we've seen over like the last year and a half is like the obvious plays that normally would pan out in like textbooks for hedging, um, especially in events like this, just haven't panned out necessarily the way that people have anticipated. You know, for example, like gold was shit for the longest time, only recently starting to do well. But gold should have been doing well during times of uncertainty, right? Post. Well, well, well. Actually, you know, that's that's one thing I have done a tiny bit of homework long term. Gold actually is the ultimate example of the the what you said about 15 minutes ago about noise in the short term and long term because gold was masked by the craziest noise of all time in 1981 and 2002 when in fact gold has been about seven and a half eight percent consistently uh, for 50 years now since Nixon unlocked uh, Bretton Woods. So it's kind so of what I should but, say is that gold stays still, right? Gold no, but gold's up. still on that trend, though. Gold's still on that trend. When gold yeah. made that move back eight or nine years ago, it was actually just catching up to that long, long, long-term noise, including, like, Black Oct- you know, the, the day in 1987 when Newmont got killed, right? If you really know your history. Yeah. Uh, so gold's actually really kind of just quietly on trend at that same 8% it's been since 1973. But that's about the only actual interesting bit of financial knowledge I have. <laughs> <laughs> So I don't honestly have the quick and obvious play right now. I think the theme right now is just total uncertainty, like how markets would behave under periods of stress in a textbook. Like I was trying to make that example early, like in a textbook are are not panning out right now. So I, I posted recently, and this was like more geared towards crypto traders who are always looking for like an answer that is um, specifically in the crypto market. Uh, you know, everyone's talking about inflation right now and, you know, how much money your money is decaying over time. It's like theta due to that, inf- that inflation. Uh, it beats, honestly, being in the wrong position and losing 30%, right? So choosing the wrong horse in this race could mean, obviously, completely underperform- underperforming even what your cash would, would hold up uh, over, the, over the next, you know, few months. So I honestly, I don't have like a quick and obvious play for what's taking place. I think the theme, again, like I said, is complete uncertainty. And I am honestly overweight um, cash because of this. Right. And I also don't have a very active approach to legacy markets anymore. I've had a very passive approach to legacy since like 2017. Right. I've tried to put most of my eggs, um, most of my eggs in crypto and just sort of suck up the volatility, you know, after trading legacy for, you know, the 10 years prior to that. Right. Um, and you, so right. Actually, you know, everything you're saying, as much as like your perspective is very, very different after your experience in crypto, it's exactly the same thing that the vanilla Vanguard guy 
said in the corporate environment, you know, 20 years ago, I know he was there, and that is, you have no choice but to buy equities because inflation will always destroy you, and equities are your only defense. He didn't put it in yeah. that term. So I, I had to figure it out myself that that's really like what he was trying to say. But it's true. You have no choice but to buy the S&P. There's a gun to your head. You have to buy an S&P, and you have to expose yourself to dumb, overpriced coastal real estate. You have no choice. Yeah. So I put a poll up like last week, and I was asking, you know, where do you think the S&P was going to be? And I was going to put up a follow-up post on it because- if for anyone who thinks that the S&P is just going to be flat um, or even minor, up, you know, up minorly over the course of this year, like you, you really have no choice but to be passively indexed. Right. I mean, I know the S&P right now is like Apple. Just thank God doing all the work. Um, but that's like the whole theme right now over the last two years is, you know, bonds are not attractive. Right. So everything was chased further out the risk curve to seek yield. that just isn't there. Right. Because you have negative real yields at this point. Um, and I don't want to say that that extends like to you have to have exposure to crypto, but I think it's, you know, pass, being passively indexed in the index or just, excuse me, um, in legacy markets, like just having exposure to the index is, I mean, that is, I haven't really changed that, right? My, my cash exposure has primarily, my transition to cash exposure has primarily been further out the risk curve in things like crypto, right? Because I still consider them very much high beta plays to equities, right? You know, the S&P is... You know, BTC is like a it's like a double, triple leveraged S&P ETF at this point. Um, so I don't have like a fast and easy play for what's taking place um, geopolitically right now. Like it, it is for most people, it is a time of uncertainty. And I feel like there's a lot of people giving out answers right now, but are just giving out answers to give out answers and and are just still sort of stuck in the same bucket that we all are, which is like, fuck all if I know kind of thing. <laughs> oh, you fell off. All right, um, Marathon, what's up, buddy? Hey, what's going on? Hey, what's up, bud? Hey, um, yeah, so I wanted to uh, touch on, so I, I think, you know, from a macro perspective, this week was pretty notable, actually, or at least um, the period uh, post-FOMC, or post um payrolls friday uh to now where you know we basically saw like a fundamental repricing of treasuries and a serious shift in tone from the fed speakers and you know you got me thinking when um you put out a poll i don't know when it was a little bit ago that asked like do you think the fed basically would uh, intentionally devalue asset prices or push us towards a recession um in order to fight inflation and you know kind of the 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 house knowledge, I guess, on Wall Street has been no for quite a while that they're kind of patsies about asset prices. But I don't. You you probably know uh, Zoltan from Credit Suisse. Uh, he put out that thing. This oh week, yeah, um, which Pushing I thought was very notable. And, right? Yeah, basically saying that the Fed actually should act to push um, equities and real estate and Bitcoin uh, towards volatility in order not only to slow consumption as that's relatively correlated with asset prices, but uh, to push um, to, to, to widen out the workforce, basically, I guess there's too many crypto traders full time these days or something in his opinion. But, um, you know, I, I think that that's kind of woken up a lot of uh, legacy traders to, to really internalize don't fight the fed uh, right now. And so um, that, you know, even this, even just like at the end of this week, I mean, we've seen yields come down today, but still, uh, you know, Nasdaq's leading the charge lower, even though tens are off four basis points or rallied four basis points lower. And, you know, I, I think at, there's now this period of like, uh, 
you know uh, the concept of uh, of kayfabe in like pro wrestling no um where it's like the illusion of um the illusion of uh authenticity even though both the participants and the spectators know that it's fake um so you know it's kind of like what's going on so so you know it, it, in wrestling like I, i'm not it, it's just an interesting concept like i'm not i don't watch pro wrestling but uh you know you have these guys that are you know slamming each other on the ground and hitting each other with chairs or whatever and then the and the fan and but they know the ultimate outcome and you know the fans know that it's scripted but they're there for the entertainment and in some ways you know the fed is going to go through the motions and and you know put on a show for what looks like a serious tightening cycle, even though at the end of the day, we all know that they're buying all of this stuff back when things get really serious. But uh, until then, you know, there could be quite a bit of pain, even if at the end of the day, you know, kind of uh, what has to be done mathematically to prevent like a larger issue for the treasury. Um, but nonetheless, like that leaves potentially a, a, a great deal of pain from a macro perspective between now and whenever something breaks. And, you know, based on the tone from, you know, not only Bullard, but like some of the other guys who spoke even today, it seems like they're willing to, to push the limits a little bit and have the backing of some, you know, kind of high profile strategists and people that for whatever reason get listened to by a lot of investors. Yeah, it's interesting because I did see that. And it's funny because I think the market is so conditioned to think that the Fed is just, you know, the Fed's got our back. The Fed doesn't want to break, you know, the, the right. hearts of everyone who's exposed because the S&P is the happiness index. Right. And and it's a political tool. And, I, you know, I even I beat that drum myself because it has been the case for so long. Um, but I think at some point you have to start asking yourself, like, you know, what am I missing? Right. What am I missing sort of out of out of the corner of my eye that might sort of broadside us in the middle of the day and, and that being rejected by so many people started making me a little bit more um <clears throat> i guess a little bit more uh, uh in tune to believing that that's a possibility you know like you said though sort of like the best way i could think about it is like it's kind of reminds me of like when i was a kid like you know my my parents didn't beat me when i got in trouble but like if i did something wrong like my mom would probably like kick my ass and at some point I knew that she was going to like take me out for ice cream later. Like if I was a kid, like, I catch a wooden spoon, like I'm Italian and Greek. That was the thing, like a wooden spoon, but you know, she was going to take me out later and, you know, and fix essentially what, uh, what punishment was, was bestowed upon me. And I think that, you know, that's a reality. Like at the end of the day, the fed is going to, is going to be there. Um, but I think that they're actually, you know, I'm starting to think more in line with the reality that they're willing to, Put the market through sort of a, a ringing period uh and i remember seeing something whether it was in that or something else it was more that did allude to like oh there's too many people right now that are that are unemployed and they're living off of trading crypto like one as if that's a bad thing yeah. the economy that comes with that but that you know they're kind of like you know fuck you like you shouldn't be able to do that um and you know obviously there's a lot more than that but i think that there's a really strong possibility that uh that that will be the case and you know, that's why like it's and it's easy to get swept up in like a certain popular narrative on Twitter, um, especially with, you know, you're you know, following some macro people over the other uh, where, you know, it seems like, oh, you know, depending on who I'm talking to, it's like, oh, no, you know, they're going to tighten in in March. But, you know, that's already priced in. Uh, so we're going to rip right after that. 
Um, yeah. And then, you know, a bunch of other people that, and I'm, I'm more inclined to think that we just have a really shitty year ahead of us. Um, and maybe it's like, uh, I don't know, like a 2014 or like, uh, uh, I'm trying to think of whether it's 2014 or 2015. Or just like back half of 18 even. Like yeah. Some, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I'm, I guess I'm mentally preparing for that. Um, and at this point, I do think it it is a little bit naive to always operate under the assumption that the Fed is going to, they don't want to hurt us at all, right? Or they don't want to um, put the market through any kind of pain. You know, I think what we should notice is over time that they actually don't care about people as much, right? You know, like the, the common person is not something that is at the top of, of uh, government officials or the, the Fed's agenda as much as I think we would like to think. Um, especially with how things are right now with inflation, I think that you know it is uh, it is pretty pretty fucking bad. Um, yeah. So yeah, that well, is something. What's that? You know, yeah. I mean, I think for a while, so much of the general consensus was accepted because the idea that the Fed, you know, politically wanted to avoid a recession more than anything else. But now that inflation has gotten so uh, you know significant, I think the the political problem is. Um, probably more heavily weighing towards inflation than the idea of potentially throwing us into a recession because of correlation with asset prices, especially when, you know, they could say, oh, well, we uh, corrected housing for young people, blah, 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 if there was a correction, you know, in a serious way in asset prices. But um, yeah, I mean, it's a real paradigm shift. And the market does a great job at having these little narratives around like 50 bit versus 25 bit in March or Russia or whatever. But um, actually, I think, you know, the, the, they've been very vague about the degree and timing of quantitative tightening and right. how much they might actually look to roll off the balance sheet. And I think if that starts looking serious and inbound, that's kind of where you really got to get out of the way because there's no, Oh yeah. I mean, that, yeah, like they said significant, right. They said like, we're looking yeah. at significant um, unwinding of the balance sheet or significant think, reduction in assets, which is Williams or Evan said that today. It, but, but yeah, I mean like that, that would be challenging for them. I mean, I'll believe it when I see it, but if it looks like that's real, then I think you want to not be holding crypto. But um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, no, yeah. I, I can listen and nothing at this, you know, after March 2020, um, that will always be burned into my head that that possibility is just right there. Right. Yeah. You know, that the books can just evaporate. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't see and if anything, you know, through experience in markets, you learn that these like multi sigma events, while they technically shouldn't happen, but for every thousand years, they happen really frequently. So there's always a, a you know a sort of black swan event or something to catch the market offside um or blindsided coming up right every every few years every few months it even seems like so that is a listen the 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 idea has been don't fight the fed for the longest time so it's just the other direction now basically right so if they're going to be very clear um and you know whether and i think they're i think they are being uh, I guess opaque enough to where it is kind of clear that they maybe don't have uh, the best interests of the market in mind. Um, yeah, like you said, like crypto is. It's, it's like funny because like I'm in some of these really high level groups of some of like the brightest people in in this market, um, and you just see how people do get swept up in like the romance of Bitcoin and the romance of crypto, and it's like, no nah, man, wrong time. Like it, it has I mean, been it's trading. Easy. 
Especially when you're ideologically aligned yourself, but you know, you have to kind of separate that looking at the, the candles, I guess. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll see. All right. I mean, March Thanks. is around the corner. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. Well, well, yeah. So we'll, we'll get into the real tightening regime soon. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. Thanks for calling in, man. Yeah. All right, Brian. Hey, what's going on? Can you hear me? Hey, what's up? Uh, How's it going? Yeah, just me. Yeah, not bad. Um, I wanted to follow up a little bit on the last caller. Um, so is there a chance that the Fed knows that they might not be able to really get inflation under control in like the near term? Uh, I mean, that's the idea of, of like the recession playbook, right? Hiking into a recession or forcing us into a recession. Um, I mean, I honestly, I, I, I don't have a view of their book, so I don't know. I mean, like into what they actually think about inflation for us, but it's obviously it's 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 front and center at this point. Um, and like Marathon was saying, like that is sort of the top of the agenda uh, from a political standpoint as well, or, or could could be seen as the top of the agenda. Uh, so, I mean, I'm honestly. Um, it is a, it's an option that they have to basically hike us in a recession, put us in a recession. It's not like that has to last for, uh, you know, a tremendous amount of time, but it does seem, uh, at this point that it's very worth taking it seriously. Right. So. Yeah, for sure. And I think that's ultimately hanging over our head, like no matter what, to me, yeah. I just think it's a matter of time. Like I'm not convinced when that's going to happen. Um, and I've seen people talk on Twitter about how, you know, uh, the Fed should have like hike rates when they when it was clear the economy recovered. And like I'm not sure by like what metrics the economy has recovered. I don't think right. it's really recovered at all. So I think I, I don't know. I think the Fed's in like a really tough spot. I don't know if it's gonna be as simple as like, you know, raise rates and cut the balance sheet and inflation goes away. Like, I don't know. It's it's kind of scary. I think we might get like a you know, what's it called? Like hyper stagflation or you know, I I don't know. Yeah, I mean it's it's uh it's an unprecedented time because of what's happened from the pandemic right like supply chains completely screwed up the labor force like changed um from a structural standpoint so i think that we've sort of passed like the uh um zero boundary like we're, we've gone through the um event horizon post uh covid and i don't think we're going to go back to like a normal that we had before then so i think that you know the same way there's a lot of um, new things for us to overcome. It's the same thing for economists, the same thing for the Fed, uh, the same thing for government officials. It's like, it's unprecedented, un, you know, uncovered territory. Um, and, you know, the people that are running these institutions and making these decisions are the same sort of people that, you know, shit and eat like us and, and make poor decisions uh, and make rash decisions. And, and, you know, whether or not they should have uh, hiked earlier or not, it's like, you know, at that point, it's water under the bridge and it, you just have to deal with what's in front of us. And, you know, for the longest time it was don't fade the fed and the fed has our back and, you know, well, if we drop 20%, like that's where the fed steps in anyway. So like, why, you know, take a vacation it's going to be okay. You know, I'm, I, and I've been trying to like ring this bell during this call. It's like, it's a, it's a high, a period of high uncertainty. And right now, like I'm not confident in where things are going to be, you know, uh, a month, two months, three months from now. Um, I think 
in terms of like predicting things from like I say this often, like the low time frames are really it's it's easier to predict where price will be five minutes from now than where it'll be five months from now. But then once you start going much further out, I think it becomes easier to predict where things will be just because it's like over time, gradually assets have had sort of a positive drift, but you know, that doesn't account for inflation. So whether they're higher or not doesn't necessarily mean anything um, if they haven't actually gone up in value, whether or not it's been actual asset inflation. But I honestly, I, I don't know. I mean, that's why I'm sort of looking at, you know, we never had a period where Bitcoin was really trading on, you know, on behalf of the macro, right? Um, so this is just like, what it's, you know, it was like during 2008, 2009, I mean, during, uh, you know, the taper tantrum that we only had just a few years back, it's, it's just a period of uncertainty. Um, I'm really just, uh, I, I'm trying to, to, I don't want to try to do too much discerning about what the Fed's going to do as much as I'm just trying to follow, follow their lead. So whether or not uh, we see something catastrophic come down the pipe, pipe in March or whether there's sort of light on the pedal, We'll see and adapt, survive, and not overposition at all. Um, just because at the end of the day, crypto is—it's just high beta. It's just risk. It just trades like a fucking tech stock. Uh, and you can see that, you know, look, just look at Facebook. <laughs> Facebook's like 47%, 50% off the highs. Thank God for Apple because Apple—it literally is doing. Apple's like Atlas right now for the index. You know, seven percent, six percent of the index, but literally doing all of the lifting at this point to keep us from, you know, falling off of the edge. So I'm, I'm not really sure, man. I mean, it is, uh, it's a time of uncertainty. That's really all I can say. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, I just think it's like a, like, it's definitely uncertain. And, and I agree that like, it's not the best time to like be super long when there's, there's uncertainty because li- likely you'll have a chance to like get long in like better conditions. So I agree. That's why I've like hedged recently and, you know, made sure I wasn't like super overexposed and made sure I could actually like buy the dip if we get some, you know, COVID type situation like March, 2020. Yeah. I just think it's like, uh, I just think it's interesting. I'm, I'm just, you know, we've heard about all like the balance sheet unwinding. And when you listen to the fed, they use all this like very vague, like ambiguous language that like you can interpret different ways. And it's like, you know, the, the rate hikes I think are definitely coming. Um, I don't think that's necessarily going to like kill the markets right away, to be honest. Um, I think the balance sheet unwinding is like more important. So I guess we'll see when that happens, but you know, how, how quickly are they going to do that? I guess we'll see, but yeah, no, I agree. It's, it's definitely uncertain. And uh, you know, the kind of unfortunate part is that the low time frames aren't that easy to trade either. So. No, the know. low times, have been, <laughs> the low time frames have been one, it's a functional liquidity and two, it's just, there's also been like a shift in, I mean, it's, it's sort of like a regime, a regime shift, but it's really, it's just a level of participation that's come into the market. Um, the new players have come in and basically distorted low time frame price action to some degree to begin with. So if you're trading right now in the low time frames, you know, absent having either a really good feel, you know, a ton of experience, which kind of sounds like wishy-washy anyway, you're trading against, you know, machines that are much faster than you, right? Um, there's a lot of dicking around that's taking place on the low time frames. So it's it's not a it's not an easy time to trade. Like anyone who's saying that it's yeah, they're like doing really well right now, it's like oh, okay. So you found like the pocket of of your sample where you know statistically it would happen anyway, but it's not probably it's probably not because you're you know a phenomenal trader. Like everyone is having a tough time right now. Some people are just having tougher times than others, right? I'm having like you know prices. It's all over the place. It's kind of like how honestly like trading uh, the ES or the NQ is period, but just on steroids. Um, 
it's it's not fun. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I only trade low time frames like like two or three weeks every like few months because like I okay. just get I get burnt out like very quickly. I've been trading for like three weeks now again and doing pretty well, but the last couple of days have sucked. So like when that when that kind of happens, I'm just sort of turned off and like don't feel like doing it. So I don't know. It's just it's tough right now. Yeah, it's like. And you don't even need to, I mean, listen, if like you want the experience, that's great. Yeah. So that's like you part, could, yeah, you that's could part say of to it. someone like, and you know, it's just not necessarily apply to you, but you could say to someone like, you know, I like tell my brother cause my brother is interested in trading. And I'm like, listen, man, you like, this is not the time, but you know, anyone who's getting involved that's new to trading and like scalping more, they're like, listen, like, I like it. I'm ha- like, I, I got a feel for it. And it's like, all right, if you want to do it, do it, but just make sure that you're not. No, it's hard. It's but, it's hard. It's not. It's like I've only been doing this for like like only been like trading for a year. I've been in crypto for like for a year and a half, and it's definitely hard. Like it's it's not easy, and I don't know. Like I I do oh, okay. It, it, I'm like some I'm like profitable overall, but it's like very hard and very like mentally taxing. It's a pro sport, and, yeah, and the difference 100%. about this is like is like you know first of all, if anyone wants to pursue anything, like go after your dreams, do it exactly do exactly what I do. But the difference between like attempting to be a trader right now versus like attempting to be a baseball player is like when you go out and practice your swings and throwing the ball, someone doesn't take money out of your pocket. Right. Like <laughs> yeah, if, you, right. if you miss a ball, like whatever, if you fuck up right now and you're like swinging, you know, if you're putting too much up, like you could, you could lose all your chips. Right. So a lot of people are, you know, better off. And like myself, like I just spending less time because I'm like, ah, this is like, I don't have a feel for things as much as I normally do. So why not, you know, put my time somewhere better. Right. Um, so, I mean, everyone is having a tough run time right now. It is, it's, you know, I th- maybe some more certainty after March, right. After the meeting in March, after the first hikes. Um, but it's, you know, chances are this is going to be the way it is for the next few months. You know, there's really no reason for it to change in a matter of a couple months. Right. I mean, Unless inflation really drastically changes and supply, you know, there's some some positive news coming from supply chains and, you know, and, and that area is, and that has specifically obviously had some type of and has, you know, depending on who you're talking to, some people say it's not, but it clearly has an effect of, on inflation, you know, supply of goods coming into a market that had a ton of liquidity, a ton of money saved up, a ton of, a ton of, a ton of capital to consume. But then you have like a, a news like today, like a Volks, like, so, you know, cars, furniture, I'm thinking of things that like are in my life recently. Cause like we got our house completely redesigned, ordered everything months ago and just got a table and two lamps in right now. So also cars, same thing. But then today it was like the news is like a, a ship coming from Europe with a bunch of Volkswagens and Porsches like blew up or something. Right. So it's like, oh, there you go. That's another fucking backlog of, uh, you know, products that are just off the grid now. So listen, it's it's just a it's unprecedented times. And honestly, it's it's experience. Right. I mean, if you're planning on doing this for a long time, like not many people can say that they were around during 2008. Tra- like no one. In, I mean, maybe myself and probably like 20 people I know on crypto Twitter were probably trading in 2008. Um, but so for anyone who's been in since 2020, like shit. It's been a it's been an incredible time to gain experience, right? You have COVID, you have the March crash, you know, you have uh, the Fed pivoting for the first time in most people's lifetimes and trading career, trading careers, um, or at least like them planning on pivoting strongly. You know, they've obviously stopped purchasing uh, month over month, but haven't completely stopped. So it's it's a tough time for everybody. 
and I honestly, I don't have any, it's like, I, I just like to defer at this point, like, listen, I have no idea. Okay. Yeah, I'm trying to I'm trying to do well in the low time frames, but I don't know where price is going to be in the next couple of days. I don't know where it's going to be a month from now. Um, I'm just trying to re you know, listen, the sharp ratio of responding and reacting is better than trying to predict. So something to be said for that. Yeah, for sure. Well, yeah. Awesome. Well, thanks for the chat. I'll let someone else get in here. Nice talking to you, Brian. All right, Mike. What's going on? Hey, sorry, hey. trying to figure out how to unmute here. <laughs> Can you hear no me now? Problem. Yeah, of course, clear. Hey, Ryan, how's it going, man? Um, huge fan. I've learned an absolute ton from you. Uh, I discovered you maybe three months ago or so, and I think you've been in my ear ever since. So uh, I really appreciate what you <laughs> do. Appreciate but, um, um, so I'm, I'm newer to order flow trading, um, and yeah, I, I'm pretty – feeling pretty good with uh exo charts i've been um i've pretty much had it on um every day i've been trading now and i feel pretty good about it but i guess my my question is um in tracking different exchanges like do you need to uh, are, are you flipping between exchanges and like monitoring what's going on in bybit binance uh, all, all of that on exo charts or there doesn't seem to be a way to have an aggregated uh, footprint. And um, I'm just wondering if it's necessary to be flipping through all the exchanges on there. I mean, honestly, um, it's a pain in the ass trading order flow in crypto, right? Because everything is so fragmented. So the obviously, you know, you need to know sort of who is more responsible for price discovery. And one, like what kind of regime we're in. Like, are we in a spot-driven environment right now? Are we in a derivatives-driven environment? I think for the most part, you could always just assume no matter what, Binance is going to be sort of at the top of the list in driving the market. Um, so I pay attention to, I pay attention to, it's almost like, I hate to say it, but I pay attention to almost all of, not all of the exchanges, but I pay attention to Binance, FTX, Bybit, and BitMEX. Um, and okay. there's sort of different behavior that I think is obvious from exchange to exchange. I don't think it would be a good idea to, one, have so for one, most of the exchange activity is, is tethered together by algos and bots, right? Market makers, algos and bots. So you're not going to see like a huge disparity from one exchange to the other. But you will notice like some more extreme things take place on, say, you know, for example, this morning on this morning on on BitMEX and Binance, there was a significant aggressive short that was opened up underneath 39.6. And on Bybit, there was really nothing besides de-risking. So if you looked at Bybit only, you know, you would see that there was a good amount of selling, but it was for business closing out. So you wouldn't necessarily have the same gusto to get behind a position than if you were also looking at Binance at that time, which is showing, you know, a ton of firepower coming in below that level. And then, you know, that's not enough to get involved anyway, because that person could be right. But if that selling comes in and price keeps moving down, well, it could just lead to momentum. But as soon as price stopped moving in the direction, you start to think, well, how are they thinking, right? I mean, you have all that open interest that just came into the market or rather the increase in open interest to show that it's a new participant coming in or just new business. Just think about open interest as just firepowder, uh, firepowder, firepower uh, or gunpowder. <clears throat> um, so, you know, if you're just looking at Bybit, you'd miss that, right? But that's if interesting looking, that you... If you're I'm glad at, you brought that up, actually, because I, I was uh, right when you tweeted that today, I was actually looking at Bybit and I didn't see any signals. Um, 
that that activity was going to come in. Um, yeah, you wouldn't. Yeah. Okay. It it wasn't there, but on Bybit, there's a, a different type of, I guess, unique participant that's kind of memed and joked about in on crypto Twitter. And it's like you get these like complete morons that ape in, um, and pretty consistently for certain values. It's like I, I made a, you know, I was talking for a while back about it seemed like someone who just aped in always on the wrong side of the ball with like seven to 8 million contracts. And, you know, you could see that in a footprint, right? You could see that on the tape. You could look at like, there are certain order flow platforms where you could just highlight a candle based on the amount of volume that comes in in a short amount of time. So you could filter for that. And, and Bybit, when you see that behavior comes come in, usually you don't see that that gets rewarded. So that is a case where, you know, the order flow on Bybit, sort of like the ape behavior, it's like the last minute panic seller, panic breakout buyer, it usually never goes rewarded. Now it's nuanced though, because, and this is, again, it's a pain in the ass because if the market is moving on momentum, well then it's different than if Bybit had that on its own, right? So if, you know, we have a major breakout across all markets, you know, Binance could be leading and Bybit could have that, you know, large amount of contracts come in and it wouldn't be the same signal worth fading because the market is, you know, there's a, the whole market at that point um, is beginning, uh, is seeing the beginnings of momentum. So it's it's nuanced. Uh, in ranging mm -hmm. behavior, you see, I guess, in ranging behavior and in sort of like the liquidation cascades and major stop hunts, Bybit is pretty useful. Um, but I think that you have to be paying attention to to Binance and FTX because they lead by open interest and volume. So the, you know, technically the most firepower comes from those exchanges. But then all, like I said, you know, I look at BitMEX too, BitMEX is the cleanest order flow. Um, so I think that, and I said this a long time ago and it's it's funny when you say something on CT, if, if, if you say something, you'll see that a lot of people end up, you know, it's like CT kind of just paraphrases each other. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> when BitMEX KYC, you'd have to imagine that filtered out a significant amount of the people trading there, right? Um, and BitMEX is a very legit exchange. So I think BitMEX has clean order flow and BitMEX usually lines up with Binance anyway. Now, the trouble is like, if you're an order flow trader, it can seem kind of overwhelming, right? Um, right. So you might think, you know, and, and listen, there's so many setups to be taken without seeing anything, anything that stands out. Um, you know, whether you're taking trades at a significant structural level, whether you have, you know, the market just reclaiming a level after a reversal, like you don't always need these perfect signals to come from, um, you know, to come from, you know, looking at XO charts. What you do want to notice and, and identify is extremes, right? So, you know, to identify extremes, you have to have some idea what normal is to begin with. So this is like either a combination of just screen time or actually keeping track of data. So if, if you don't keep track of data, if you don't have a screen time, you wouldn't know what stands out to begin with. You know, knowing like, for example, this morning, seeing someone get short, you know, coming in heavy, you know, for like five, 600 BTC and price not going anywhere, that stands out, right? That's, that's worth getting on the other side of if it's, you know, below swing low, if that occurred above swing high and the market didn't continue to, to either break through that level or lose that level. Um, so you might think with all these different things to focus on, it might be put you in a situation of analysis paralysis. Um, exactly. Yep. An aggregated tool might sound good, but at the same time, you can't really do that because if you look at like Binance's footprint versus like Bybit's footprint, Binance is just like the size is incredible, right? So, I mean, you know, it, it, it's it's 
it's hard to tell with Binance too because there might be a case for like sort of wa not washing but um, a volumizer type activity where Binance doesn't have like very obvious standout volume on a footprint on a lower time frame that really looks like looks to be taken advantage of the way like Bitmax and Bybit does like on a lower time frame seeing like crazy volume come in into a pocket versus you know the surrounding volume which was really nothing Binance is kind of like throughout the entire structure it's pretty evenly distributed with Binance um I would say like looking at how price develops over a region and paying attention to open interest. And again, you know, confirming that with other exchanges as well, where you might have like a more obvious trap set up uh, can be useful. But these things are, if you're getting into order flow, it's, it's going to seem like overly complicated because there's a lot to pay attention to. This is not normal if you're trading like the ES or the NQ and you're trading through the CME. you know, and the only difference you're going to be choosing between is like what your trading software is going to be and how you access that. Um, so it is a pain in the ass. I would say the most important thing you have to understand is like who leads by who leads by price discovery, who leads price discovery. Uh, and it's usually going to be Binance. So Binance should be at the top of the list. So naturally, Binance is open interest, something you want to keep an eye on. Binance is participation, um, FTX, and then BitMEX usually is following Binance. It's usually, I want to say, on the right side of the ball, but it's very clean flow to pay attention to regardless. And then Bybit. And this is a lot, right? Bybit is just very, there's anomalies that occur where it's just, you know, ape-like, complete offside positioning. Um, but it's really just that. I wouldn't like focus too much on Bybit because you could see like on Bybit, there might be subtle divergences in Delta and price action. And it doesn't mean anything because price ends up just kind of mowing through that regardless, right? So it might look like a setup on Bybit we're taking advantage of, but it's not uh, it's not enough to sway the market because it doesn't really, it's not standing out compared to the other exchanges. It's a lot in the beginning. For anyone who's just getting in, you know, into crypto order flow, it's overwhelming because there's so many exchanges. But I think you'll get a feel for, like, like I said, who's worth sort of um, focusing on more than anything else. And then, you know, honestly, you'll still, you know, I have plenty of screen space and I have my, I'm looking at each one. I have a small chart of each one with the open interest. Um, and I'm still keeping an eye on either one regardless to, to see if there are any kind of anomalies that stand out. And really it's just, hey, you know, is there anyone that's offsides, right? You know, and market structure, TPO helps me identify sort of where I might want to look, right? Gives you an idea of context. But offside positioning can happen in the middle of anywhere. Right. It doesn't have to be at a significant structural level like this morning, the long that I took, you know, yeah, and there was confluence again on Binance and BitMEX. Um, that was in the middle of like nowhere, really. I mean, it was at a swing low on the low time frames, but that was just pure positioning that I was focusing on. And it was, you know, you might call that sort of an anomaly in the order flow because all that volume came in, came in on two exchanges, just happened to have them up and, you know, in, in front of my eyes and got behind the trade. But Again, it's a lot to focus on in the beginning. Like everything, I think you just end up synthesizing it over time. You know, if I told you how to tie your shoes just verbally, it'd probably sound really difficult before you actually did it repeatedly, right? And then it's like, that's <laughs> eh, not hard, right? Right. Um, that's really helpful. I appreciate it. Um, one other small thing I wanted to ask about was um, 
it seems like you're always uh, distinguishing between um, stable coin margin and, and coin margin. Um, what's the difference in, in how uh, they behave? Like does, does coin margin carry more weight than you, than stable coin or? Well, um, so coin margin is more painful for longs. Okay. So just think about like the uniqueness of a coin margin product to begin with, like nowhere else are you, you know, like if you're trading crude oil futures, you're not margined in crude oil. Right. So you're margined in, in USD. It's right. cash. Um, coin margin implies that one, the market is already long Bitcoin as the underlying. So if you're long, it's good to put things in perspective, you being a trader. If you're long a coin margin contract, your Bitcoin that you have spot is up, already exposed, right, as your margin. So it's like, you know, it's a concept of, oh, you're longing your longs when things are good, right? When the market's ripping, you long your longs, right? Because you have spot BTC, but you get exposure on top of that through some type of per product that's margined in BTC. So, your, you know, your margin goes up in value, your position goes up in value. It's an awesome way to expose yourself. But the negative aspect of that is the negative convexity that comes along with that. So the return profile, if you were to look at it, um, it would look like a hill that as you were going up, it got gradually and gradually less steep. Um, so as your position's moving in your favor, your profit is diminishing. Uh, but as the position goes against you, it's speeding up, right? So it's like approaching a wall in a car speeding, but instead of being slowing, instead of slowing down, as you try to hit the brakes, you're speeding up towards it. When the price is moving against your position, when you're long a coin margin contract, because of that convexity, you're losing value two ways, right? Your margin that you put up for the position is losing value, and the position that you're long is on, on behalf of that margin or on top of that is losing value as well. So the pain trade is, is horrible for longs when price goes against them. That's why you get like, you know, on top of liquidations, you get these cascading pukes um, on the long side. So coin margin contracts, very painful for longs. The opposite is said if you're short though, right? Because think about it, if you're short with coin margin contracts, you might be directionally incorrect, but as the position's moving up, your BTC that is used as margin is going up in USD value as well. So it, it's a decelerating, at that point, it's you just think your pain is, it's not accelerating to the upside at that point. It's, it's your return profile is more attractive if you're wrong when you're short than if you're wrong if you're long. The thing about stablecoin margin contracts is if, like, let's say that someone is hedged a stablecoin margin contract. That's really painful because if they're wrong, right? So let's say they're short. Um, you know, if you go on to most exchanges, you know, besides like FTX, which has a pretty unique margin mechanism, but I don't know, it might not be the same. If you go on to like a Bybit or I think just use Bybit as, as an example. Um, if you have... USDT exposure, like if you're in a contract trading account, uh, if you want to buy spot, you have to transfer that to your spot account and buy Bitcoin. So if you are short USDT margin contracts, so if you see, and to paint a clearer picture, if you go back to like May, June, July of last year, when we had that big ramp up in stablecoin margin contract open interest, um, that was on that was baked in on negative funding and mostly uh, aggressive sell activity. So what it was is more likely it was it was stablecoin margin contract hedging. 
So it was people shorting on stable fair margin contracts and people also hedging. That is really painful uh, to the upside, right? If price moves against them, because if you are short a stable coin margin contract, you have to buy back to cover your short. And then if you want to participate in the trend, you have to buy back just to gain exposure to BTC. So there, and I guess it, I don't want to make it sound too weird by describing it as like that's painful or that's, you know, uh, painful if you're short or you're long, but it means different things, right? If you see that open interest is really high on stable coin margin contracts, uh, and the market is moving against that, and that's mostly due to long positioning, it's not as painful than if that was uh, coin margin contracts and it was the other way around. Uh, the same can be said, though, if the market is hedging or if it's short or it's trying to gain exposure to the downside and that stablecoin margin contract is really high, or the open interest is really high, uh, I'm starting to lose myself in my words, um, <laughs> the potential upside from that positioning is greater than if it was coin margin because those participants have to buy twice. They have to buy to cover their position and buy to gain exposure to the underlying again. So there's, it's you. nuanced. Okay. You following though? Yeah, absolutely. That makes a ton of sense. Yep. Okay. I was, yeah. you know, I was talking about every, it was like I was getting uh, tongue twisted saying coin margin, stable coin margin, going back and forth, but they mean different things. Uh, for one, if you're in position just due to the return profile because of convexity, and two, you know, stable pay margin contracts because, again, if you're short or hedged, it means you have to buy back twice just to gain exposure. Gotcha, gotcha. Well, I'll let the next caller jump in. Thanks a lot, Ryan. Nice talking to you, Mike. All right, Frida. Hey, what's going on? Hey, can you hear me? Oh, sorry, I had uh, not the sound on. That's okay. How are you? I'm good. How are you? How are your horses? They're good. I haven't ridden my own horses. I said this on the stream uh, last week. I don't think I could remember the last time I rode my own horses. So I visited them last week, um, but I haven't ridden a horse in months now. My wife rides every day, uh, but they're good. They're good. We're How many do you have? Right now, three. So okay. my wife is still looking for another horse to hunt with uh, because one of our horses, I shared it on Twitter a couple months back. She does fox hunting. Uh, and before anyone freaks out about the animals, it's not real foxes. They just go out, they dress up, they go out with a bunch of hounds and they follow um, a drag scent. So one of the riders will will ride ahead in the woods with a like a spray bottle of fox urine, and they'll spray it throughout the trail, and then they just kind of like fake hunt for the fox, and they have champagne and stuff after. But my wife got thrown off of one of our horses, um, who is very buddy sour and is very bad around other horses, like very anxious. Uh, and the horse got so far away that the horse ended up on a highway on a seven lane intersection uh, of a of a major highway. Um, and that horse is retired from hunting. So it's been a, a struggle for my wife to find a horse because horses mm. like everything else are it's tough. It's mm. like buying a used car. You have to trust the person who's selling it to you that, you know, they're telling the truth about the age, about the condition. And oh. it's a pain in the butt. But they're good. They're good. We love them. Oh. I understand. Um, can I ask you another thing about uh, trading? Of course. Uh, how long does it take 
for you to uh, learn how to uh, how to do uh, order flow trading i mean it all depends right i mean everything depends on how much time you could put towards something so if you're trying to learn the piano if you're trying to learn to code if you're trying to learn to juggle if you're trying to learn to cook um there's a lot of things that are obviously shared between these right and, and the amount of time that you're able to dedicate towards something obviously has a uh, will have a significant impact on how you perform or how, how much you're able to learn and grasp that that doesn't you know th that doesn't speak to you know the type of learning or how much you're able to actually focus and what type of learning you're doing though right just having more exposure to something obviously helps so it all depends I would say, you know, part of, well, not all of it, but largely in part, how much time you're able to develop, put towards it. Because trading on its own is something that takes, most people, it takes years. And, and that is for the people that end up, that are able to do it successfully, period, right? So trading has a very high attrition rate. Now, I would say that maybe 10% being generous of people will be able to be a profitable trader, right? Be able to do it profitably profitably over a three-year period beyond a three-year period trading being profitable in the short term might just be a reflection of the environment you're trading in right if you think about someone that started trading in 2000 and you know 2007 no 2000 let's say let's say someone who started trading in march 2020 is going to have a different experience or a different outlook than someone who started trading right now right because one mm -hmm. is a very facilitated environment towards just simple trading and hitting the long button. And this one is actually a very high level trading environment. Um, order flow is not complicated. So one thing I will say, it's not complicated. It is how, like, I mean, my experience coming from a, a traditional trading background, it's how, every, you know, it's, it is how most prop traders, it's how most traders um, who trade like equity index futures, crude oil, it's how they trade. Crypto is, is kind of, I would say, was very behind in terms of trading is very, and it's not like any kind of fault of anyone in crypto, but it's just, it, the stuff works. Like basic technical analysis works in crypto. Basic moving average strategies are much more useful in crypto than they are in legacy. So I guess order flow was not necessarily the first thing favored. Also, not for nothing, leaving a big thing out, um, the order flow platforms really weren't there, right? So this order flow platforms, all these new platforms and software, they weren't really available. Um, and, you know, you have the, the problem of multiple exchanges and exchange fragmentation. Whereas if you're trading order flow and you're trading like the E-mini S&P or crude oil or the NASDAQ, you're just trading through the CME. So it's not like you're monitoring six different exchanges and then wondering which one is important, wondering which one isn't. It's a lot different. Um, I would say that I, I would I'd have a hard time giving the exact number because I know people that and i think this is like the most important thing for people to get involved in anything is to know that everything is really difficult anything that is worth pursuing is going to be very tough right you're going to have the same level of attrition between being a professional athlete a, a professional trader a navy seal uh you know a olympic uh, athlete it's all going to be a, a case of very few are going to find success in something long term but the fact that someone can should be good motivation that maybe you potentially could too, right? The thing is, I know people that are successful trading that have been doing it only for a year. I know people that have had no success trading and been trying it for 10. Um, so it's not as easy as as certain other things because the person who tries to be a um, the person who tries to be, let's say, a violinist 
has a different experience in failure than the person who continuously fails at trading. Trading and losing money and being defeated in uh, like a monetary sense is much different than being defeated when you are practicing or trying to perfect anything else. Like if you continuously lose money, it's, it's going to erode sort of the quality of your life versus if you continuously mess up playing the violin, it's like, okay, I got to quit or just show up tomorrow and maybe I'll incrementally get better, but it's not going to change my life outside of playing the violin. The difference with trading is obviously people who, people can continuously try and fail and it could ruin their life. You know, they could be a gambling addict. They could mortgage their house. I know a few people that reach out to me, they're like, I mortgaged my house at 65K. I thought I was going to be a trader. I was like, well, why did you think that? Like, just, I would say for most people, the most important question or the most important thing is not like, how long is it going to be? Is it's, do you have the right expectations from the outset? Like, do you think that it's going to be something that is kind of like uh, this glorified romantic um, pursuit where you get to sit by a poolside with a computer after taking a course and watching a YouTube and then suddenly, you know, you found the secret to making income? Or do you approach it thinking that it's sort of like trying to be a surgeon and it's going to be one of the most difficult things that you can do? And, and having those expectations in the outset is very important. Um, so it's, can you master order flow trading in a year? Absolutely. Not master it, but will you, can you become very adept at using it as part of your tool set? Absolutely. Can you do it for five years and still have no idea what you're doing? Absolutely also, right? So it all, all depends on, I would guess, the individual and um, how you're going to approach uh, learning and, and also then applying it. Mm. Uh, what what uh, attributes attributes do you think is uh, needed to be a good trader? Let's see. Uh, attributes to be a good trader. Um, I would say for one, self awareness. Okay, so self awareness is very important. Um, self awareness, conscientiousness, uh, discipline. I would say grit because you're going to get your ass kicked, so you have to be able to get up. Um, And then let's see, it's another one. What I say, self-awareness, conscientiousness, uh, grit, discipline, uh, and rational thinking. Because you see that a lot of activity in markets is due to irrational activity. So being able to exit with money after a period like that requires rational thinking. Being able to stop yourselves from chasing something and FOMOing FOMOing into something requires rational thinking. So I think if I would put those in order of importance, it would probably be rational thinking, honestly, self-awareness, conscientiousness, grit, and then discipline. And it's honestly hard to even say that any of those in order uh, or can be ordered, because then you could just say like discipline is required to consistently apply those uh, and not deviate. Because the thing about uh, the thing about all of this is it only takes like one bad set of decisions to blow up in a market, right? And, you know, it, it's people people that are great traders have unwound their entire careers in a matter of minutes, hours, weeks, months, depending on, you know, who we're talking about. But um, it doesn't take much to fall off and like fall out of your proper mindset and uh, reset. And, and I think discipline is, yeah, they're all, they're all equally weighted, honestly, but those five things are, are what I would say are most important. Mm. Thank you so much for for the answers and I hope you have a wonderful evening. Thank you Frida. You too.
All right, guys, we're like an hour and a half in. Uh, I'm probably going to wrap it up unless someone wants to hop on. If not, what is the market doing right now? Market's still around 40 handles, so we'll see. Uh, I mean, at this point, we're just within the gap that we created on the 4th, and that was a pretty big breakaway gap. It's not something you want to see revisit, revisited, but chances are we accepted it into it now. It's just high probability we filled out. Um, you could form two ranges within it. I mean, we could be beginning to form a range between 41 and around 39. Uh, but I would just, I would operate under the assumption that when you're in a gap, it might be a matter of time, but you're probably going to fill it. So that, and also understanding that the weekend is here, right? It's, it's a holiday weekend. So everyone's done now. Uh, everyone that matters is done. Um, anyone significant in legacy markets is is not going to be carrying weekend risk, especially, you know, in this environment period, and then especially considering it's a holiday weekend. So what that means for crypto is it's left to its own devices, right? When the cat's away, the mice will play. Uh, and in these conditions, it's going to be really thin. So just act accordingly, right? Understand the environment you're in. It's, it's going to be probably pretty choppy. Um, you know, what looks good in hindsight as far as like, oh, my stop we placed here, trade would have went perfectly, doesn't happen in reality in thin conditions, you know, the market skips. So I've been looking at, uh, the, you know, I, I haven't been trading as much, but I've been observing the flow enough to see the last few days. There's plenty of air pockets and that's just, usually air pockets and that kind of behavior doesn't just resolve on its own. Like it doesn't just like, oh, it just disappeared. It usually proceeds uh, something bigger. <clears throat> um, it doesn't always have to, but air pockets, just basically areas where as price is, you know, auctioning within a range or traveling, you know, if it's traveling down any other period where it's not like a major stop run or liquidation cascade, just areas where price skipped over. So never went bid, never went offered, just complete gaps within um, a certain region of price. Um, and that's not necessarily a good sign. Usually that's like at the you know, if you see that at a higher or low, uh, good chances are that that might be that may, might be mark, marking potential higher or low. It's like spreads blow out. You see these, you know, usually it's not like air pockets all over. It's usually just air pockets on one side where it's really just a stream of prints on the footprint that never went bid or never went asked because it was a stop run. So you'll see like uh, I describe it as price just burps through a level. Um, but these are just intraday rotations that are just really thin. Um, and if you look at like a low time frame footprint and you look at one that's either a tick based one or like a volume based one, you'll see the actual impact that small volume has on the market. And it's like, it's very, you know, it's just a sign of lack of liquidity. Like, I mean, you could have, you could throw, you know, a million contracts at the market and it could move, it could stay still, right? Or you could be like right now where you see like a million contracts and prices, uh, you know, jumps uh, a handful of ticks, right? Whereas previously it would, you know, market would have absorbed that. Um, so just be mindful of those conditions because that is just unfriendly trading environment. So if no one else is going to hop on, uh, I'm going to wrap it up. I think this one was a good one to restart on. So I apologize that uh, last week we did not have one, um, but I'll make sure that uh, we don't skip a week moving forward. 
And I'm happy for those of you that were able to join in from Android devices. I am a happy owner of an Android device myself now too. I noticed though, so I don't know what kind of Android I bought. I just, I have a habit of, and this is a mistake, but I don't know. I'm not a technocrat. So when I walk into a store, I'm like, listen, don't take advantage of me. I want the best one that's out. Uh, I don't care, you know, I don't wanna say I don't care what it costs because I went to the store yesterday and the guy was kind enough because I'm buying a new TV for, uh, um, for, the, for the TV room. Um, I was like, yeah, I want an AK TV. And the guy's like, you don't want an AK TV. There's no reason for an AK TV right now. Not broadcasting AK. Um, so I'm getting this uh, like Sony 80 inch OLED. It's got good blacks. That's all I know. It's got great blacks because the only time that we ever watch TV in this household is at night. And I made the mistake of buying this TV that didn't have good blacks thinking like, I don't know what that means, but it means a lot because if it doesn't have good blacks, everything, it's just, it, the the I guess the um, contrast is it's shit. So I bought a, a new Android. I like it. See, I got a fucking segue. I speaking ellipses sometimes. Um, <laughs> come back to it eventually. It's like my wife starts a story and then a half hour later she gets back to the original point. But I got an Android. It comes with a lot of like proprietary crap on it, like apps that are. I don't know. That's the one thing I guess is nice about Apple. You don't have all this useless shit on it. Um, but yeah, cool product. So for those of you that are able to join on uh, Android, welcome. And I'll see you guys next week. It's a holiday weekend. It's not a cool holiday. So I can't say like have fun uh, picnicking or whatever. Um, but just uh, play safe because it's it's not going to, things are not going to change overnight, right? Just expect what is right now to continue and uh, survive, right? All right, guys, adios. This will be posted until next time.